Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. Once again, welcome everybody. This is uh, week three of our series that we've been in called Idols. Uh, One of the things that we have learned and we've clarified is that worship is what we're created for, but not just worship of anything that that we set our hearts on because our hearts, they're a little fickle. Our hearts are fickle and prone to be idolatrous. And idol worship is anything that is a substitute for worship of God, anything that the heart clings to for ultimate security. Our finances often fall into this camp. Money is the thing that we often attach ourselves to. Money is often the thing that we worship. Whether we know it or not, money is, (laughs) it is often said, It is the root of all evil. Well, money is the culprit in many circumstances because we attach ourselves to it in unhealthy ways. So this morning, I'm just gonna give you an opportunity to invest in the work that happens here at R5M, and you can do so at uh, the gray boxes in the back of the auditorium, or you can go online. Remember we talked about the Church Center app? That's the best way to give, and uh, you can do that all online. But the work that we're doing is important, it's significant, and uh, we hope you'll join us in that way. Well, this morning I wanna talk to you about without prejudice. Living without prejudice. From my earliest memories, and as I was preparing for this weekend, I couldn't put my finger on when this actually happened, but it is so clear and distinct in my mind, I know that it happened, But in my mind, I think I was very, very young and spending time with my grandfather. So you guys, if you're around little kids, what you do and say is really important because sometimes it burns into our memories the things that were said without giving it a thought. Things that were said, whether they're condescending and painful and hurtful or simply a comment that we make. Sometimes we don't know the power of our words and how deeply ingrained something becomes even when we don't mean it to. My grandfather would not have uh, recognized his prejudice, but he said some things about people with a different skin color than ours that I have never forgotten. His heart was prejudice, but I don't think he knew that it was. But as a little child, his words are still in me. And sometimes, sometimes this um, ingrained and learned language or, or thoughts that we have, uh, that create a bias, a predisposition toward, toward being prejudiced. And that can be prejudiced uh, uh, in a whole number of different ways. But let's just take race and religion and class those all are things that we often would be, um, would be prejudiced about. 
if we're actually aware. As a, I, I think I was a teenager before I had any uh, meaningful interaction with someone that uh, was of a different race than my Caucasianness. To be prejudiced is to prejudge. So when you see somebody, often we have a bias without even knowing it. So many of the things that we would be prejudiced about, like maybe the top several ones, would be race, religion, and um, even one denomination to another. Well, I'm Baptist. Well, those Lutherans, they believe this. Whatever the case, sometimes within our own religiosity, we become prejudiced. Um, other things, sex, uh, age, and class of people. Now, for far too much of her history, the church has allowed a prejudicial culture to take root and, and has caused lots and lots of harm. So I believe this morning that God's correction and our repentance is what is desperately needed. We spent far too much time as a church, as a big C church, on projects and not people. Projects and not people. So if you give more than just a passing thought this morning to your own biases, to your own prejudices, what is it that you think about first? What is it that you think about first when you see a person of another class or culture or race? See, well, most of us don't think about this very much. What's the first thing that pops into your mind when you see someone of another culture, a race, or a class? Are there some immediate biases that rise right to the top? And then we also have to ask, what are the surface idols? What are those, so those things that are popping up? What are those surface idols, things we've attached ourselves to, that we need to identify and remove? Well, in the book of Acts, chapter 10, uh, Dr. Luke wrote uh, Acts, and uh, this is the history of the early church, history of the church at its very, very beginning. And ironically, many of us, as we go through this scripture, will find ourselves going, oh, so things are still a little wonky when it comes to the way that we think about our race, our culture, and our uh, class. So as, as, is, as is told in, ch in chapter 10 of Acts, there was a centurion in the city of Caesarea. His name was Cornelius. And uh, he was a, a captain. I said he was a centurion. He was a captain of, the Italian, uh, of an Italian regiment. So he was, he was responsible for a hundred Roman soldiers. Now, Ironically, in this moment of history, uh, the church has not widespread yet, but here he is in Caesarea, and it's a Jewish, uh, tons of Jewish people, and he has spent time in the synagogue, and scripture says that he is a God-fearing, he's, he's God-fearing, he's generous, he prays, and during one of these, uh, during one of these prayer times, God shows up. God shows up in the form of an angel. And 
he, uh, he sees this vision of this angel, and the angel says to him, hey, God is blessing you. God has heard your prayers. God has seen your generous heart. God is for you. Now, go to the city of Joppa and get Simon Peter. Joppa was about 30 miles away from Caesarea. He says, go. And per usual, in military terms, uh, this was a call to action. This was a call to action for Cornelius. And so he obeyed, and he sent his people. He didn't go himself, but he sent his people. His people went to Joppa. And as they approached the front gate of the house, Peter, you know, God does stuff. God does some amazing things. Do you know that he still does this sort of thing today? He arranges circumstances to bring about life and and freedom and grace and mercy into our lives. Peter is up on the roof of this house where he's staying with Simon Simon the Tanner. So he's he's staying with a guy that is, uh, in Jewish culture, was already uh, kind of a, a, a... this, this wasn't the thing that they would normally do, would be to stay with Simon the Tanner because he's going to have his hands all over animals that are not kosher. They are not animals that Jewish people would normally touch. So Simon Peter was already sort of like pushing on some of these Jewish, Jewish laws by staying with the Tanner. So they approach the gate. Simon Peter's up on the roof. He says, hey, I'm hungry to his... To his um, the, the maids there at the house, so they're making something for him to eat. And while he's waiting, while he's waiting to, for his food, Scripture says that Simon Peter went into a trance. I don't know for sure what that is, but it's, it's in, this, in this circumstance. It was some place between that. Have you ever been to that place where you're sort of awake and sort of asleep? Has God ever talked to you in the middle of that? I don't know. It's like the... It's an unknown place, sort of. It's like I'm sort of awake and I'm sort of... I have been, I have had things said to me during that moment that I've had to wake myself up and write it down. Because in that moment, God was speaking to Peter. It was happening to Peter. He's sort of asleep, he's sort of awake. And he, he sees this sheet coming down. Imagine. You see, we, we hear this story all the time. And we just think it's like, okay, so the sheet came down out of heaven. Wonder how that works. I don't know how it works. It's bizarre. But God works in strange and wonderful ways sometimes. And he drops the sheet down in front of Peter. And, and, he, and, and the sheet is full of like animals and reptiles, all kinds of things that Peter has never, ever considered eating. And God says, get up, kill, and eat. And Peter's like, uh, no. I've never had anything unclean. I won't start now. Peter and, Jesus, and God have this exchange back and forth, back and forth. Three different times, God says, get up, get up and eat. Get up, kill and eat. And Peter's like, no, no, no. Finally, the sheet goes back up again. It disappears and Peter comes out of this and he's like, what is this about? What am I supposed to do with this? And about that time, they're at the front gate. And so the word comes to Peter. Hey, there's three guys from Caesarea down down by the gate. You need to go see them. And you need to go with them. And it turns out that is exactly what Peter does. And Peter goes with them to Caesarea. 
When he gets there, Cornelius, they go to Cornelius' house. Scripture says he enters the home. And when he gets inside, he reminds Cornelius that this is not what he should be doing as a good Jew. Jews never came into a Gentile's house because that would be unclean. Then they'd have to go through a ritual cleaning before they could move on with their life. And then he says, so tell me, what am I doing here? Why did you send for me? What am I doing here in your house, taking the risk of becoming unclean, and yet I'm here? And so Cornelius tells him, okay, this is what happens. This is what happened to me. And he, he tells Peter what happened in his vision. And then Peter says, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. I see that God shows no favoritism. Remember, this is the early church. This is new stuff. This is centuries, centuries of law-abiding Jewish people who are now being asked to change their mind, to put aside their prejudice and embrace that which was formerly unclean. So what happens? Peter uh, preaches the good news to uh, this, this gathered group of people in Cornelius' house. The Holy Spirit falls on them. And Peter says, well, what keeps us from doing a baptism? What keeps us from solidifying the fact that the Holy Spirit has fallen on these people just like he's fallen on us? That he's come to us just like he's come, he's come to them just like he's come to us. What keeps us from doing the baptism? And uh, the conclusion was nothing. Nothing keeps us from doing the baptism because they have received what was already given to the Jewish followers of Jesus. This was without prejudice they came. Without prejudice now, Peter is looking upon these people and saying, what's good for us is also good for them. Just a word about baptism. If you haven't been baptized and baptism is your next step, September 19th here at Restore, we'll do baptisms. As it turns out, Cornelius is the very first Gentile convert. Cornelius becomes the very first Gentile convert. Unless God would, unless God prearranged all of this, you and I would not be sitting here this morning. Unless you are of uh, Jewish descent, which I don't think many of us are, we would not be sitting here under the grace of God the way that we are this morning. But God opened the door by sending Jesus to come and give us life and freedom and express grace and mercy over us. There are things in our churches and in our personal lives that we hold on to dearly, just as dearly as Peter held on to his belief system. Even though God's been trying to get us to shift our thinking, Sometimes that is in. Uh, sometimes we need our shift. Need to shift our thinking uh, in terms of the harm that has been done and the great sin that's been done to our brothers and sisters that need uh, that need to be have. They need to be remedied. 
So much harm has been done throughout church history. In all of that, in addition to all of that, our prejudice can become a stumbling block to the gospel. Our prejudices twist the beauty of God's love for all people, all cultures, all races, all nations. God loves each people group in its particularity, and he calls us to love them too. Love is the highest calling. God calls us to people, not projects. Now, race is not the only area in which we Christians often uh, are too slow in our releasing and eliminating our prejudice. Class can be another. So uh, if we fast forward, 20 years after Cornelius converts, James writes the book of James. He writes this perfect illustration of someone walking into a church with nice clothes and another person entering with not so nice clothes. James emphasizes that God is not partial. God does not have favorites. God created all people in his image, and so he equally loves every one of us. In James chapter 2, we read in verse 1, we read, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this dis discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Yes, indeed. It is certainly good when you obey the royal law as found in scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. Partiality is inconsistent with faith in Christ. As James writes here, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, how do you claim to have faith in Jesus if you favor some people over others? See, practicing favoritism, if we do this, it contradicts this profession of faith that we make. It goes against the truth that we profess. And then he says, for example, and this is so like relevant, isn't it? For example, what if someone comes in wearing a gold ring and really nice clothes, expensive clothes, and you say to them, hey, sit up front. We want to see you front and center. Like maybe we want to get you on the camera so that you're, we have the best, most beautiful people, most, most well-dressed people up front so we can get a close-up. Maybe that's, maybe that's the thing that we do. But if somebody comes in who is filthy and raggedy and, and, and dirty, like they come in and we say, no, 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 we're going to put you in the back corner. Let's get you out of sight, out of mind. Just go sit back. Let's hide you somewhere. See, this is the thing that has happened over and over. And this was especially true in this first century church as they were figuring out how to go about doing church, the gathered body. Um, if you've been around Goshen very long, you know that there are uh, homeless people on our streets. And when we talk about being prejudiced toward one class or another. This is a tough one. This is a tough one because when I see, uh, when, when I see John walking through downtown, he's normally, he's like, he's very purposeful and he's like, he's like talking. Never to any particular person, but to his people. And I don't know who his people are in his mind, 
but he's very unhealthy, but he is very adamant. And then if you engage him, he'll, like, if you hear him talk, the guy's brilliant. He's really brilliant. But chemical imbalances and all sorts of things, I'm not sure what's going on with him, but he's one of the dirtiest men you'll see downtown, like just filthy. I met Paul the other day, and Paul was observing me, and I didn't know this, but he was watching me, obviously, as I sat out front of the electric brew, and he's sitting over on a bench, and, and I saw him, but, I mean, he was far away, but I saw him, uh, and then all of a sudden, I'm walking down the alley to my car, and Paul is right there, and I didn't know Paul, but he comes right up to me, and you know, um, It is easy to be dismissive of people. And I walked away from him after he had tried to articulate what he wanted from me. And I actually couldn't understand him very well. But these guys, they have enough biblical knowledge. Like some of them are smarter than you and I are when it comes to like just how to they're good at manipulating sometimes, right? But, you know, when he introduced me, when I said, hey, what's your name? He, he starts rattling off to me, and I couldn't hear it, understand what he was saying. He was talking really fast, and here's, here's, an, here's, here's why he talks fast. One of the reasons he talks fast is because people dismiss him really quickly. Because when, if he doesn't quickly say everything he needs to say, they're going to go away from him. So as long as he can keep talking and engage us, he's gonna do that. And so he's talking so fast, I can't understand him, and finally, I'm just like, hey, hey, what's your name? Paul, you know, the apostle, like the Paul the apostle. I'm like, okay, all right, you rang my bell. All right, so Paul, his name's Paul. He keeps talking, telling me about a whole bunch of things. And finally, I had to interject and say, Paul, what do you want? What do you want? Well, he needed... He was like $29.50 short of something. I mean, he was even more particular than that. I mean, it's like $29.59. I don't know. And I helped him out a little bit, you know? I don't know what he does with that money. It doesn't really matter. But I walked away from him with not the right attitude. I had a schedule to keep, and he stepped right in front of me, and it was inconvenient. And I went through this process of considering how did I just feel about that? And how did I respond to him? Was I helpful? I didn't pray for him. Uh, I prayed for him since, but I didn't pray for him in that moment. You know, there are some times when we, and we'll get to it in just a second, but there are some things that we can do, steps we can take when we're in front of people who are of a different race, different culture, different nationality, where we can take a moment and, and step back and go, okay, how do I approach this? And if we don't think about it, like I hadn't thought about it for a while, and if we don't think about it very much, when we get into those circumstances, we are ill-prepared for what God wants to do through us in that moment. So let me just say, love overlooks uh, these superficial things as uh, like wealth and great clothing. It shows kindness to a person in spite of the 
way they smell, the way they look, these qualities that we can easily begin to judge. Love covers all of that. In verse nine, he says, but if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. So it's like, it's not just you shouldn't do that. He's saying very clearly, when you favor some over others, when you look at someone and make a distinction because of their race, their nationality, their sex, their class, you break the law, you are sinning. You are breaking the supreme law of love your neighbor as yourself. Which brings us to what idol are we talking about here? If my life only has meaning and I only feel valued when my race, my culture, my class or social position is elevated, that is an idol. I mean, what we're really saying is that uh, power is our root, our, our deep idol. And this idol is incredibly dangerous when it is intertwined with our self. When it is intertwined with our personhood, the person that we are. When we, when we say, I have great self-confidence, I have self-esteem, I, I experience self-actualization, now, these are good things until the self takes over and it turns into an idolatrous push toward power. So how do we combat this propensity, this, this uh, sort of natural inclination toward a prideful elevation of our race, of our culture, and our class? Well, I always think it's good to go to Scripture to combat some of these things that have been ingrained in us, to come against this spiritual war that we're in. And so we go to the Scriptures, and we, we see verses like in the book of Proverbs uh, 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. Proverbs 3, 34, the Lord opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And James says in chapter 4, verse 10, he says, humble yourself before the Lord, and he's going to lift you up. Humility. Humility is a thing. When we approach this scenario, leaning into humility, as Paul writes in Philippians, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. In Romans 12, I love this version, the message versions uh, the, from verses one and two, for verses one and two. So here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embrace what God does for you. Is, embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. And this is key. Fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So three points, 
from this scripture in Romans 12. We must spend time with God. Take your everyday, ordinary life and place it before God as an offering. Sometimes we say, I'm just whoever you are and I can't do any of this stuff. Like I'm just, I'm just not gifted in that way. Take your everyday, ordinary life and place it before God. Number two, we must be aware. Fix your attention on God and readily recognize what he wants from you. Make an effort to follow him, which means quickly respond. See, it's all about choosing to rely less and less on our strength and understanding and depend wholeheartedly on his power, which, guess what, is in us and works through us. So let me give you four things, actionable steps to live in humility and and to tear down the strongholds of prejudice and power. Remember, people, not projects. So number one, love. It's so basic. But when we want to combat prejudice in our lives, when we want to, to get rid of the things that we think about first when we think of someone, when we see someone that doesn't meet our expectations, It is to love, to love others as God has and does love us. And this means relationship. See, it's easy to make assumptions and judgments when we don't sit across the table from someone. When we don't break bread and converse and we just keep a distance, it's very, very easy to pass judgment. But when you break bread with someone, it's a completely different story. When you have a meal with someone, when we sit across the table, when you actually make the effort of getting to know them, it's a very different story. Brenda and I, years ago, and you guys, if you've been here very long, you've heard me talk about this. We made a decision, and it was sort of um, uh, one that, that we had to acclimate to. But we made a decision to sit at the bar in local restaurants and, um, and begin making to, uh, relationships with people that we're, we wouldn't have otherwise crossed paths with. We were very intentional about getting to know people. And in the, the hospitality industry, the LGBTQ plus community is very, very uh, uh, involved. Like there's many waiters and bartenders and the like that are working within the hospitality industry. So we got to know people in the LGBTQ plus community that we would not have otherwise ever crossed paths with. So, when you put yourself out there, expect to be uncomfortable. <laughs> we were, we've been uncomfortable quite a few times. Um, one of our friends invited us to a party at her house. And we were like, hmm, should we go? because we were uncomfortable, and we got there, and we were even more uncomfortable. (laughs) Let me tell you, we experienced some things that we hadn't observed before, but the credibility that we were able to establish over time, and we haven't seen a great revival in that community, per se, you know, we, I mean, Brenda and I, but it is, That's not been our focus. Our focus has been one-on-one, one-on-one, one-on-one. You get to know someone. You look past what's right in front of you and to the need that's deep within them. We're all human. We all have the same wants, needs. We all have the same desires. We want to be valued. We want to be loved. We want to be recognized as, as worthy of another person's love and grace. And ultimately, you and I get ourselves into difficult and crazy circumstances because we take the risk 
Why do we take the risk? Because Jesus took the risk. Jesus came that we would have life. We get so used to hearing that. We've, we've experienced it ourselves. We've experienced life, real life, peace, and freedom. Some of us, some of us are still very much on the journey. So we take the risk. We, we, we take the risk of becoming a pariah within our own religious communities for the sake of the other, for the sake of those that don't yet know. Love first, then listen. God, Grandma always said, God gave you two ears and one mouth. Listen before you speak. Listen. You gotta listen to the heart, the heart of the people that are in front of you. Don't just make assumptions. We're making assumptions so many times about what we see instead of listening. And don't just listen to them, but listen to the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God is gonna help you do number three, which is to discern. Love, listen, and discern. Prayer is the gateway to discernment. Sometimes God speaks to me and he speaks to you in the critical moment that you most, you gotta have it. You gotta hear him speak in that moment. But other times, he is giving you discernment because you have prayed before you got into that situation. And in that moment, all you can do is keep pouring into the person in front of you. And number four, respond. So love, listen, discern, and respond. When you respond, you're saying things like, how can I serve you? How can I help you? You're, you're responding in a way that is, is, is aligned with who the person is in front of you. Love, listen, learn, uh, discern, and respond. When we do that, we hear things like, here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Lay aside the idols of self, of race and culture and class, and embrace the cross of Christ. You know, the cross of Christ is the source. It's the place where Jesus died for our redemption. The cross where the blood of Jesus was poured out and the cross where his broken body was hung and the cross where he died for your redemption and mine. Without prejudice, without prejudice, Jesus has arranged for an all-access pass into the presence of God. Without prejudice, we have an invitation to join together at the table. And maybe, maybe you didn't even know you were invited. But at the cross, the invitation was given and is continuing to be given, calling us to take up our cross and follow Jesus. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.